where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. We have been uh, spending some time with the book of Ecclesiastes and the poem uh, that starts us out about life and the meaning of life, and uh, we've kind of had some fun referring to the author of Ecclesiastes as a little bit of a grumpy pants as we've delved into uh, the writing about everything is vanity. And today we are finishing that series, and we're finishing it by returning to the beginning of chapter 3. And we're thinking about beginnings and endings. This is how that poem opens. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. It's an interesting uh, couple passages because it seems so obvious, and yet we've kind of spent a lot of time trying to deny that reality. I think throughout history, there is this fascination with the idea that we could remain young forever or become immortal. When we have it uh, early on in mythology, we get it uh, from Herodotus, who talks about this spring that becomes this idea of an eternal youth, fountain of youth. Um, and I was just in Florida last week, so we were at Cape Canaveral at the Kennedy Space Center and were reminded of Ponce de Leon and the explorations that he did around finding this fountain of youth. So all the way up, we continue to just be fascinated by this idea, and I saw a few of you chuckle at it. It's an absurd idea that we would launch these expeditions and spend this tremendous amount of time and resources to learn how to stay young forever. But I've been paying some attention in the past couple weeks, and it's an idea we haven't really let go of. We might not be looking for the fountain of youth anymore, but we are talking about other things like cryogenics, or can we upload our brains? So we still have this sense that we'd like to be who we are right now for the rest of time. And while the author of Ecclesiastes is reminding us there's a time to live and a time to die, we're kind of like, meh. Does it have to be that way? These fountains of youth and these ideas of technological advancements have kind of some consequences about how we think about life. One of them, I think, is that since we seem to spend a lot of time avoiding the idea of death 
and dying. We don't talk about our hopes or our fears for what that looks like. The Conversation Project in Boulder County, which of course is part of a larger national organization that provides resources for people to make end-of-life decisions, points out that while 90% of Americans believe that it is important to talk with their loved ones about what they want for end-of-life care, only 30% of Americans have actually done it. And I think sometimes that Christianity even has a little bit of a role in this. Some of the ways that I got connected with the Conversation Project were because they were hoping for faith leaders in interfaith settings to have these conversations. Because often in our faith settings, we talk about what happens after you die in terms of heaven or resurrection here in the Christian tradition, but we don't talk that much about dying itself. And even today with this uh, passage that I read, one that I've used, has been requested at funerals a lot. Our temptation is to shy away from it, and so maybe even right now some of you are feeling a little bit uncomfortable with the two minutes that I've already spent talking about dying. One of the things that we consider then as we are thinking about this idea, this uh, simple and obvious idea that there is a time to live and a time to die is that the reason that how we die matters is because it becomes a part of how we live. The Australian physician Peter Saul says, how we die lives on in the minds of everyone who loves us. And he says that in a talk that he's giving um, about grief and about these uh, experiences that he has had in end-of-life care. And of course, what makes these conversations so hard is right back what we talked about at the beginning. We don't want to face the sadness. It's hard to contemplate the end of life, whether that's ours or a loved one's. And so we put off these conversations and we assume that there's always plenty of time to have them. It's like this idea of death, which is universal, becomes a secret that we all live with. Everyone knows it's inevitable. It is in the Bible that it is inevitable, but we refuse to talk about it. Art, I think, is one of the few places where it becomes more common to wrestle with this poignancy and this inevitability. We see it in the way that painters and poets and musicians and storytellers can open a door for us to acknowledge that this is part of life and even to grieve the impermanence. I think the poem from Ecclesiastes is one of those types of arts, but Again, all through history, we see this theme emerge, even as some of us are working to stay young forever. Others are doing paintings and drawings that fit in this category called vanitas, fitting for Ecclesiastes, that depict these images of skulls 
or dried flowers or hourglasses. And they're really trying to visually capture the same thing that the author of Ecclesiastes is trying to capture, that there is a humanity that is uh, living and dying alongside of us all the time. And in poetry and in music, we have these pieces of elegies. And they're sometimes written in memory of a specific person, but they're sometimes written more about death itself. And so before we turn to the idea of living, the other part of uh, our passage this morning and beginnings, I want to pause here for a moment and maybe we just take a minute to practice uh, being comfortable with being uncomfortable as we hear this elegy that Robert is going to play for us. It's a beautiful piece, wasn't it? One of the things that art does for us by bringing death out in the open is that it creates this beauty amidst grief or uncertainty. It's something that I hear again and again from people who work with the dying. People who um, do hospice care or medical care, people who are in the uh, funeral industry that they say that it is both hard and it is beautiful. Beth Holtke, who's a seminary director and more recently an advocate for a return to more natural funeral practices, talks about the experience of moving uh, death more out into the open by saying, I've seen the beauty of what can happen. I think that the loss that you deal with after a loved one dies becomes a little easier in a sense, because the reality of death is in front of your face. When society takes death out of the picture of life, we miss the connection in the ability to love our loved ones. What she's expressing is similar to what artists have expressed in their vanitas paintings or musicians in their elegies or even movies or plays or books that grapple uh, with these tragic themes. We are in the midst of dying even while we're alive. And we are in the midst of living even while we're dying. Author Frank Osteski says, death is not waiting at the end of a long road. Death is always with us in the morrow of every passing moment. That's the kind of thought that can either land on us as depressing or motivating, depending on the day. And when we spend some time with it, maybe it's a little brain-bending. When it's motivating, we come out of it with this sense that we want to make the most of every moment. One of the passages that shapes my life is kind of along those lines. It comes from Psalm 90, where the psalmist says, Teach us to number our days, God, that we might have hearts of wisdom. Clarity often comes when we face our humanity and our mortality. I think we see that again and again, and some of you have maybe experienced that up close and personal in your life. And I see it right now and continue to see it 
in these trends of people maybe switching jobs or making these big moves as uh, we're transitioning to hopefully the end of the pandemic. COVID was certainly this worldwide grappling with our mortality. And it brought things into focus for people. In conversations that I've had recently, I have heard everything uh, from, I quit my job because I realized I hate the values of the company I work for, to I committed to staying right where I am for longer because I saw what people stood for when time was hard. The very real facing of death and upheaval brought things into focus. And we can think about it in a little bit of a lighter way, too, if any of you have a life's too short saying, like, life's too short for bad coffee. That's my mother-in-law saying. I've seen ones in uh, cafes or places that have dessert that say, life short, eat dessert first. And sometimes those things are kind of silly, but they also clarify the things that make life meaningful. I used to be the kind of person who finished every book uh, that I started. And then one day I was slogging through something really horrible. And I had this moment of clarity where I said, life is too short for bad books. <laughs> and I have never finished a book that I was not enjoying since. It's one of those things that becomes a catch-all. Those are silly examples, but they are also the kinds of examples that shift the way that we are thinking and maybe the way that we are making decisions. So I have heard people say things like, life's short, eat dessert first, when they're not talking about dessert at all, right? It becomes a bigger metaphor for how we are looking at our lives. Teach us to number our days, O oh God that we might have hearts of wisdom. That's the crux of Ecclesiastes. We have this grumpy pants sort of a poem, but the point that uh, the author moves on towards isn't really that life is futile, but that it's complex, and that it is filled with life and death, with healing and hurting, with planting and harvesting, and that wrestling with this complexity, even when it takes us to a place that's maybe a little hard, can lead us to wise living. Ecclesiastes will close out uh, his book by reminding us to revere God, to strive for the ways of wisdom, because in God's time, all things will come into light. That is what we are moving towards when we start uh, with the recognition that there is a time to live and a time to die. And so as we continue uh, some reflection and meditation, I invite you back into the space of just seeing where these thoughts take you this morning.